This episode is proudly sponsored by EveryPlate. Hey, if you're looking to budget your food expenses in the new year, save big and eat great with America's Best Value Meal Kit, EveryPlate. Their meals are cheaper than your average fast casual meal, so ditch the takeout to save money while still enjoying fresh, satisfying meals delivered right to your front door. Every plate is the easiest way to eat affordably, so you can put the money you save towards making 2024 plans. Get started with Every Plate for just $1.49 per meal plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49invisible. That's 49invisible. Subscription must be active to qualify and redeem $1 steak. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Why? Was she afraid? Did she beg for her life? Did she suffer long? And mostly, why? You haven't been to work today? Where are you? Please pick up the phone. On Tuesday, June 18th, 2019, the family of 68-year-old Mary Kay Katie Wolfarth became worried after discovering she hadn't shown up for work that afternoon. Mary Kay, who went by Katie, was supposed to meet her longtime friend, business partner, and fellow Akron, Ohio antiques dealer Dave Verner to prepare for an upcoming antiques auction they were planning. And after preparing what he could in Katie's absence, Dave Verner drove over to Katie's house to check in on her and see if perhaps she simply wasn't feeling well. According to the Akron Beacon Journal, when Dave arrived at Katie's house, he noticed her mail was stacked up from the day before, Monday, June 17th. Based upon her sudden unexplained absence from work, the stack of unattended mail, and the fact that after repeated phone calls and knocks at her front door, Katie was still nowhere to be found. Dave Verner reached out to Katie's sister, Pat, who lived across state lines in Pennsylvania. Katie's sister, Pat, and Pat and Katie's niece, Basha, joined in on the search from afar, calling all local hospitals, jails, and emergency rooms to see if they might catch a break and locate Katie. But with each additional phone call and every passing hour, still nothing. While they continued making phone calls from Pennsylvania, Dave Verner began retracing Katie's last known movements, at least as he knew them. The very first place he went that Tuesday evening was the Leslie Rentals Storage Unit Facility at 573 East Talmadge Avenue in Akron, where he and Katie both rented storage units. The business partners both kept their antiques here and would build inventory over time ahead of organized auction events. The secure storage units were set directly behind the owner's primary business, Leslie Floor Sanding, and consisted of a series of long pole shed-style buildings, with each storage unit facing a shared paved roadway from either side. Each unit had a manual overhead garage door, with padlocks securing them from the outside. The entire perimeter of that rear storage area was also secured by a tall black wrought iron fence, the top carefully adorned with spiraling razor wire to keep any potential intruders out and the prized possessions of those renting units there in. Dave visited the Leslie storage offices on Tuesday evening and made contact with the owner, Richard Leslie, asking him if he remembered seeing or having interactions with Katie on either Monday or earlier that day on Tuesday. 
The owner didn't recall seeing her, but did explain to Dave that the facility also had several security cameras covering basically every square inch of the shared roadway outside of every storage unit. The only problem, owner Richard Leslie couldn't access the security cameras, so Dave Verner would have to return the following morning to connect with the manager, who could. After nearly 48 hours since anyone had last heard from or seen Katie Wolfarth, Dave returned to the Leslie Rentals office early Wednesday morning with hopes of reviewing the security camera footage with the manager. Instead, all he could do at the time was provide an approximate time frame in which they could begin carefully sorting through the footage, which unfortunately might take several hours given the security system setup. In the meantime, just before 1 p.m., Katie Wolfarth's sister Pat and niece Basha arrived in Akron, Ohio to join Dave Verner in the search for their missing sister and aunt. They called police to officially report her missing and met a responding officer on the boulevard directly in front of Katie's home. Hi. Katie's family explains that she plays Pokemon Go, the popular mobile app that brings people from all walks of life together out in the community on a quest to hunt down rare Pokemon. They say she's met quite a few bizarre people while playing the game, but they can't quite think of any other reason. She may have simply vanished. They explain that despite her advanced age, Katie has no known medical issues, and they even hand over a neatly designed missing persons flyer with all of the key details officers would need to file the report, including her physical description, a description of her vehicle, a 2012 Kia Sedona minivan, and two recent photographs of her. Any idea where she'd go? Here's the only thing we can piece together. Um, she had called her sister left a message that she had a handy van that, that could do work for her and she could come to Pennsylvania the worker could come from Pennsylvania. No, from here. From here to Pennsylvania. You're in Pennsylvania. Yeah. She called her and told her that she had a worker that could come down to Swissville to stay at her house, which is something she wanted to allow, and to work on her house, like a handyman thing. And then she was giggling at the end of it, which is not my aunt. Did you give you this guy's name or anything? No. Oh, no, I, think. I listen. I I understand it's very it's very stressful. Yeah, we'll get the we'll get the report done. We have about two hours to get it up. We'll go from here. If you guys have any questions, you can call back. If you know you guys come back and you check the house, and you know you you think she might have been here. Okay, okay guys. Yep. With seemingly every official option now exhausted, Katie Wolfarth's family were forced to wait. But unlike other missing persons cases, the Akron police were already tracking down a key suspect 
At the time, the family met with the officer just before 1 p.m. on Wednesday. But how could that possibly be? Well, just minutes after Dave Verner left the Leslie Rentals storage unit facility, after providing the manager with a time frame within which to begin searching through security footage, the manager discovered something truly disturbing when reviewing footage from Monday, June 17th. Around the very time Katie Wolfarth left that bizarre voicemail with her sister Pat, one where she claimed she knew of a handyman that could come stay with her in Pennsylvania and fix things around the house while Pat fed and housed the man. A suggestion that defied all common sense and logic until the manager of the Leslie Rentals storage facility recognized someone else on that security camera footage, a local handyman who also rented a storage unit from that same facility and was captured on video acting strangely and even at one point entering Katie Wolfarth's unit. Realizing the potential gravity of what else may lie in that security camera footage, the manager of Leslie Rentals immediately called 911. Akron Police Fire, Stephen R. Good morning. Um, my name is Craig. I work at Leslie Floor Sandy. Yeah. We have rental units behind our building. And um, there is a lady that has been missing. I don't know if a report has been filed. Okay. Her name is Katie Wolford. My reason for calling is that her rental unit has been entered by another individual. We have it on surveillance tape. Okay. And to my knowledge, that individual has no permission, reason, authority to go in there. Okay. Okay. So Katie, well, how do you know she's missing? Well, her partner, a man by the name of Dave, they both rent units from us. And uh, he came in. Monday evening, asked Richard, the other fellow that's here, if he had seen Katie Wolforth. And Richard said no. And Dave came in again this morning, and I started looking for the security tapes that we've got, and I found this individual going into her unit. Before that first formal report of then-missing 68-year-old Katie Wolfarth even went public, police were already on site at the Leslie Rentals storage facility, examining that video surveillance footage with manager Crank. The critical video evidence begins all the way back in the early afternoon of Monday, June 17th. The exact day and approximate time even, Katie Wolfarth last made contact with her partner or family. The video begins innocently enough. On the left side of the frame, you can see the rear end of Katie Wolfarth's silver 2012 Kia Sedona minivan parked out front of her storage unit. The left sliding van door is ajar, and there are various antique items scattered about the gravel road and concrete apron directly in front of the storage unit, including a bright orange vintage bar stool set, a mounted deer head, and other various trinkets and cardboard boxes. Parked in front of the unit directly across from Katie's, we also see a dark orange Dodge Dakota quad cam pickup truck. In the video, you can see that the pickup truck's front driver's side door is left open, along with the smaller door entering the storage unit, directly across the road from Katie's. For several minutes in the video, Katie moves about her storage unit and that gravel road, rearranging and moving several items into and out of her unit and into her minivan. 
At one point, a younger man, appearing to be in his early to mid-30s, exits the storage unit across from Katie's. He's wearing black tennis shoes, black athletic or basketball shorts, and a white t-shirt with the sleeves cut off, exposing his entire side down to his waistline. The man has a closely cropped, almost military-style haircut, and after exiting his own unit, he then casually strolls across the gravel road and slowly approaches Katie's open storage unit door. Before engaging her in conversation, the younger man cautiously looks over his shoulder, scanning the road behind and in front of him for other storage unit customers. At one point, he begins casually eating what appears to be a handful of Twizzlers licorice candy ropes, one after the other, while seemingly politely engaging Katie Wolfarth in conversation and the small space between her minivan and the storage unit door. After smiling at her briefly, he extends his right hand awkwardly and gently high-fives Katie, before returning to the open bed of his pickup truck directly across the gravel road, where he then proceeds to lean with his back against the bed while facing Katie, intently watching her. Seemingly oblivious to the fact that the man is now intently watching her from just 20 feet away, Katie Wolfarth then continues moving and rearranging antiques in and outside of her storage unit. After re-entering her own unit at one point, the man abruptly stands up and walks across the street, positioning himself so that Katie's van is between him and her storage unit. Under the cover of the van, he then moves closer toward Katie, while carefully watching her through the tinted van windows. As he leans in, she suddenly exits her storage unit to grab another box, and the man immediately drops to the gravel, so as not to be seen. He then low-crawls back to the bed of his own pickup truck and casually stands there, as if no one was the wiser, not realizing there's a security camera just above his left shoulder, capturing the entire interaction on video. The extent of the video that is publicly available cuts out here for a bit, but when it returns, we see Katie walking off into the distance toward the Leslie Rentals' front offices around the side of the building, near where the dumpsters are. In the video, it's clear she's got some type of box or bin in her arms and is likely throwing out trash. But the second Katie Wolfarth turns that corner, the man who, up to that point, had been intermittently peeking out the door of his own storage unit to get a glimpse at her, suddenly exits when Katie is no longer in view and boldly crosses the street toward her storage unit. While she remains out of view, the man enters Katie's unit and quietly waits for her to return. And after a few additional minutes, Katie Wolfarth once again re-enters the frame, this time with an empty box. She unknowingly tosses the box to the ground, retrieves a small milk crate among other items, and proceeds back into her storage unit, all the while scanning the ground for other items. Just moments after entering the cover of her storage unit, we see the manual overhead garage jostle violently to the ground, as it's closed forcefully from the inside. After some 19 long minutes, the man exits Katie Wolfarth's storage unit through the standard door next to the overhead garage door. Only strangely as he exits, we see he has his complete body and head cloaked with a white blanket, covering his clothing and face from the camera's view. As he steps on the concrete apron in front of her storage unit before proceeding across the gravel road, you can also see faint reddish-brown footprints left as his shoes leave the pavement with each step. The stains look like blood. 
This episode of Invisible Choir is brought to you by Wild Grain. If you guys haven't checked out Wild Grain yet, you gotta do it right now. Wild Grain is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. We swear by Wild Grain in my house because every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, and there's no thawing required, so I can't even screw this up. You already know we absolutely love Wild Grain's chocolate chunk cookies. In fact, my wife orders some in every box, but we are so excited to try out these new Bavarian pretzel buns. We've got plans for some incredible burgers with those. And again, everything through Wild Grain is super simple to cook. You preheat the oven, put whatever goodie you've ordered in there, and 25 minutes or less, it's ready to go. It's cooling off on the counter, and you serve with your meal. And you can now fully customize your Wild Grain box, so you can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box of all bread, all pasta, or all pastries, you can have it. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box, when you go to wildgrain.com choir to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box, and $30 off your first box, when you go to wildgrain.com choir. That's wildgrain.com slash choir, or you can use promo code choir at checkout. This episode of Invisible Choir is also sponsored by BetterHelp. What are some of those things you actually want to keep the same about yourself or your life for 2024? Where are you already crushing it? Think opposite of New Year, New You. It's true, around New Year's, we all get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. I'm like everybody else. I've got that brand new exercise bike upstairs that I've probably got 13 miles on since I bought it two years ago. But one area I have not skimped on the last few years is therapy, making sure that I'm becoming my best self mentally. Therapy works great for me because I like working with someone else to develop practical, realistic goals and tactics to be the best version of myself that I can be and how to process past traumas so that they don't become obstacles preventing my own success. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and one of the features I think is most impressive, you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So, celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash InvisibleQuire today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash InvisibleQuire. BetterHelp. A few moments later, the man exits his own storage unit, still wearing the same black tennis shoes and black athletic shorts. Only, he now has an entirely different black undershirt and light blue polo shirt on. He then proceeds to walk back over to Katie's unit and begins carefully putting away all of the remaining boxes of antiques into her storage unit before closing and securing the door and then driving away in her silver Kia Sedona minivan. For the next 48 hours, Katie Wolfarth is not seen on camera at any point exiting that storage unit. After reviewing that first section of video footage, officers immediately secure permission and access to Katie Wolfarth's storage unit to begin searching it. During the initial stages of that search, the manager of the Leslie Rentals storage unit facility approaches them, explaining that though he was initially unsure who the man actually was due to his closely cropped hairstyle, 
which didn't match the individual on the lease attached to the unit the man was clearly very comfortably positioned in front of. It turned out it was the man's son. The manager recognized him as 35-year-old Michael Olson, a local handyman who occasionally worked out of his father's storage unit, the one directly across from Katie Wolfars. Just six or seven hours after Katie's family had first reported her missing there on the street in front of her Akron, Ohio home, Homicide detectives were now seated directly across from a 35-year-old man who appeared in that bizarre security footage the evening of Wednesday, June 19th. But they hadn't brought him in after a lengthy vehicle pursuit or standoff because after piecing together the clues in that first section of video from Monday afternoon and just as units were readying to deploy to the area of Michael Olson's last known whereabouts, a deputy informed detectives that he was already in custody arrested just hours before, during a breaking and entering call at the property directly next door to his father's house. As Olson is led into a small interrogation room, two detectives with the Akron Police Department prepare to interview him for what he believes is nothing more than a simple breaking and entering call. Olson sits there in that tiny room wearing nothing but a pair of socks and khaki shorts. He's shirtless, and his head is very recently shaved all the way down to his now exposed scalp. Yeah, it is a little chilly in here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah this, this is not sweltering out like the back of the refrigerator. Well, it, it wasn't too bad in there, but it was nice in here for sure. Yeah. So you need another detective for this? To be well, this is kind of how we do it. Yeah. Would you watch TV or what? It's not always like how it is on TV. No, I know that. I know that's for sure. It's just that. Uh, God, I just would love to know about what I was saying. Okay, go by Mike. Michael. Mike. Mike. Okay. Uh, I'm Sergeant Tony Stravaggi. I don't know with Akron. You uh, met Detective Ryan on the three. Yeah. Okay. Uh since you're in cuffs, I gotta read you these. All right. Oh, Miranda writes in. The detectives advise Olson of his Miranda rights and he agrees to speak with them. Again, under the guise of what he assumes is nothing more than a simple B&E call. Which is why he seems so shocked and off-put by the fact that two of Akron's finest deemed it necessary to interview him in person. According to Michael Olson, the entire breaking and entering situation was nothing more than an unfortunate miscommunication with an unreliably drunk neighbor. Tell me kind of how this whole thing transpired today. I uh, went and picked up some mulch. Uh, Bob and Ro- uh, Rome's always yells at me through a window and, hey, Mike. And, you know, my dad was leaving this morning. Hey, Mike. Yeah, but, uh, I use your coffee pot. So I used, well, I used my coffee pot. I was hanging out today. My dad was out working and I was kind of doing my own thing. And uh, she said, you know, could you remember sitting there having a cigarette? Bob was there, you know, and I was like, uh, she goes, you open that door for me. There's a closet door that always sticks, you know, that I usually just, there's no lock on it. I thought she meant that. She didn't know the bedroom door. And I went over, I was like, oh, well, Rose is locked from the inside. Or, you know, so I was like, you know, I think you guys always keep that window open. Why don't I just go around there and, like, yeah, could you? I don't think you'll fit. And I was like, oh, come on, Rose, I lost weight. Shoot, I can get in there. Yeah, and so that's what I did. I helped her get her window open, her door open. Went around there. And it made it look like I tried to, I went to jump in. That's probably what the neighbors saw me doing. I tried to jump in first and I was like, well, I need a chair. Went over and I opened our freaking bedroom door. It was locked because Antoinette just was living there. Vince Lavari, the 
uh, landlord, he was like, I, I guess he tried to get him to get out of there. Sorry, I'm acting like I'm all nervous and shit, but I was just helping him out getting their freaking bedroom door open so they could start getting all the shit out of there. So they asked me to help them get all the shit out of the basement and out of the out of the bedroom. What was you supposed to get out of the basement? Uh, all the instruments closed, all the freaking uh, the bedrooms down there was cluttering up everything. They tried to have six people living in that little place. That's a hazard. You can't do that. Okay. And my dad lives right next door. He's like, he can't do that. Michael Olson claims that while he was out mulching the landscape around his father's house, one of his neighbors called out from the property next door, asking him if he could help them get access to a door inside their residence that had been inadvertently locked from the inside. He's the local handyman after all, so the request doesn't seem that far-fetched. The only problem with Michael Olson's story is that this interaction, he claims, took place at about 8.30 in the morning. He didn't return until later that night by himself to break into the home and then open that stuck door until several hours later, when the individuals who made that request in the first place were apparently drunk and not even home. Yeah. Sounds just a little bit sketchy. Ultimately, it was the concerned neighbor who saw Michael Olson breaking into the house through a window. And they're the ones who called police, who subsequently caught Michael Olson in the basement of that property, where he wasn't even supposed to be in the first place. Talk about your proactive service call. And then we, when we came in, we arrived and you were in the basement at that time. Yeah, I was getting up and getting stuff out of the basement. And, I, and all of a sudden I heard... Is there anybody here? And I was like, what the fuck is that? And I was like, oh, shit. And then I came out. <laughs> I wasn't ducking down like the one officer said. I was freaking trying to get some stuff clean for him. And why Why would they lie to people? Or why would they say that I was trying to steal stuff? God, I've lived there for... I, I, I don't know if they actually said you were trying to steal something. What am I doing here? But, but because they said that you... They didn't know that you were in the house. Oh my God, did you see how intoxicated she was? They drink all day, every day. They drink a liter of Kamchaka down here every day. That's why Bob has a, the, he has a blood alcohol monitor on his ankle. I thought it was house arrest at first. And I said, oh my gosh, what are you doing? They didn't recognize me when I came back because I've uh, been staying with my mom a little bit here and there. Me and my dad butt heads. I'm not living there full on with my dad, but I will go down every once in a while and do some laundry even when I need to get away from my mother. My mother's a bear. But, Bob didn't even recognize me. Wait, today or? Yes, uh, yesterday, no. Yesterday. Okay. Yeah, Bob didn't recognize me. He thought I was Josh. Yes, exactly. Olson explains that the very same neighbors who didn't realize he had broken into their home failed to recognize him just the day before when he was at his father's house because he had recently shaved his hat. Detectives briefly hone in on this observation because, remember, they already have footage of Olson with a closely cropped military-style haircut entering Katie Wolfarth's storage unit on Monday. And yet, here he sits with him now on Wednesday evening, with the rest of what little hair he had on top of his head in that video now completely gone. Uh, like, probably three or four days ago, I was just being goofy and just shaving around. My cousin's coming in from town. He's a Marine. I want to do something funny for him. And heck, I've never shaved my head before, really. I mean, a couple of times, but not like shaved it, shaved it. Right. Feels kind of good. Kind of like it. A little cooler in the summer, right? Yeah, exactly. The detectives inform Michael that they're still getting statements from his father's neighbors before stepping out of the room, as they've yet to make the determination as to whether or not they want to file charges for breaking and entering. But they're actually leaving that interrogation room 
to compare notes with a third member of law enforcement, someone who's been diligently reviewing the video footage in the days after Monday, June 17th. And the rest of that footage was damning, to say the least. The video shows the same man, now identified as 35-year-old Michael Olson, returning to Katie Wolfarth's storage unit the following day on Tuesday, June 18th. He backs his distinct orange Dodge Dakota pickup truck to within inches of Katie's storage unit door, at an angle to block the view of potential onlookers from seeing what he's doing. He then exits the truck and casually sets a can of Mr. Pibb soda on the truck's bed toolbox. He appears shirtless in the video, just as he is now in the interrogation room. In the video, he's wearing nothing but tennis shoes and blue jeans. His hair is also noticeably different than it was just the day before, as what little hair he had on top of his head before had now been crudely hacked off with a set of clippers, leaving just tiny portions of uncut hair visible, while the rest of his head was cleanly shaven down to the scalp. In the footage, Michael Olson then retrieves a large, full-size garbage can and movable trash cart on wheels and pushes it into Katie's storage unit. He then comes back to his truck and retrieves a large blue tarp from the bed, which, in the footage, is clearly filled with various garbage and other junk. He then gets back into his truck while both Katie and his storage unit doors are still open and reverses it out from in front of Katie's storage unit and further down the gravel road until it's completely out of frame from the security camera. He then returns on foot and enters Katie Wolfarth's storage unit once more. After a few minutes, Michael Olson is then seen on camera hunched over, doing his best to haul the now heavy, filled trash can out of the storage unit and onto the unsteady gravel road. He's now wearing an antique seersucker-style hat with a white t-shirt dangling loosely around his neck. It appears to be the one he was wearing just the day before when he first entered Katie's storage unit. The rolling trash can has what appears to be a human-sized form, tightly wrapped in a blue tarp and then covered with a blanket, all of it wrapped in duct tape. The large form protruding from the trash can appears stiff and lays partially bent over the side of the can, making the load awkwardly shaped and even more difficult to transport over the gravel. Olson continues rolling the trash can on the wheeled cart across the gravel road and into his storage unit, the one rented under his father's name, all the while being extra careful not to allow the tilted load to tip over. He eventually gets the can up and onto the concrete apron in front of his storage unit, rolls the can back inside, and then drops the overhead door, before locking it and leaving once more in his pickup truck. By the time detectives compare notes outside of that interrogation room, both Katie Wolfarth's and Michael Olson's storage units have been thoroughly searched, and the results, however tragic, are unsurprising given what the video cameras have so clearly captured. This episode is proudly sponsored by Rocket Money. All right, all right, I didn't think it was actually possible that I could have another subscription out there that I didn't know about, but here's the scenario. There's a new crime drama coming out and I went to sign up for this particular service so that I could watch it and when you know it, I've been paying for it for about the last eight months and completely forgot about it. So I opened up my Rocket Money app and sure enough, there it was. So here's what I did. I binged the entire season of this program in record time and through Rocket Money, I canceled that subscription with literally one tap. And this is why I absolutely love and swear by Rocket Money. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. So I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can literally cancel it with a tap. That's it. It's that simple. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash choir. That's rocketmoney.com slash choir. Rocketmoney.com slash choir. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Honey Love. Ladies, I have a New Year's resolution for you that's actually easy to keep. This is the year to finally stop wearing uncomfortable shapewear. Look, we've probably all been there, struggling to take off a tight piece of shapewear with a bathroom line stretching out the door. Now, as a man, I didn't know this was actually what was causing the line, but my wife reassures me that is the case. That's why she absolutely loves and swears by Honey Love's best-selling superpower short. It is her go-to. It has targeted compression technology that actually distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas where you need less compression. Their Signature X targets and sculpts your midsection without squeezing your natural curves. Plus, they've got a 100% cotton gusset, so you can skip the extra undies. They also have a convenient opening in the panty area for super easy bathroom access. No costume change required. And that's what we call easy access. Ladies, Honey Love is just as easy to put on as it is to take off. Shapewear shouldn't be hard. Their products make you look and feel good. Whether it's for a wedding, event, or an everyday boost of confidence, Honey Love is the perfect plus one. So, treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash choir. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off at honeylove.com forward slash choir. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Start the new year with confidence. Thanks to Honey Love. This is uh, Sergeant Dan, Dan Marks. The two detectives return to the small room. Michael Olson, still handcuffed to the metal table, has positioned himself alongside it on the floor, attempting to stretch out as comfortably as possible. And as he gets up to greet the men, he notices the two detectives have now invited a third member of law enforcement into the tiny room with them, a sergeant from the Akron police. Feigning shock over all of the hoopla, Michael Olson casually blurts out, All of this over suspected B&E? This is ridiculous. So, I read your, your Miranda rights. You, you understand those? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, keeping those rights in mind, we'd like to talk to you about another issue. Um, so, today, uh, you, talked to, you told uh, Detective Brain that uh, you were mulching uh, out there at the country. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We went to Atkins Finance Mall Store got the mulch from. Who's that at? Copper Road. Okay. Um, did you, uh, well, we, know, we met your dad today, and uh, he was saying that... Uh, you met my dad? Yeah. Yeah, did you talk to your dad on the phone today at all? Uh, yeah, a couple times. Yeah. And uh, what did you, you talk about? You ran, did you run out of gas? Yeah, I ran out of gas. I've been running out of gas a lot lately. I've been a little bit broke. <laughs> yeah, so... Okay. Uh, like he asked, what did you guys talk about you your dad? Uh, like he said, he called me up earlier to go get a... So I had to bring up the past load finish gun, and uh, then that was about it. Did he say that uh, we wanted to talk to you? We. The Akron place? No, not at all. 
What Michael Olson doesn't yet realize here is that two of the three detectives now seated across from him were actually present at the Leslie Rentals storage units with Michael's father earlier that very afternoon after he traveled there to voluntarily let police search his storage unit. He texted and called his son repeatedly from the unit, explaining to him that the Akron police wanted to speak with him and that he was to come to the storage unit facility immediately. I really don't know, 11, maybe 12, one, somewhere around there. I don't know. Sure, it wasn't more like uh, one or two? One or two. Well, like I said, 11, 12, one. But yeah, I don't know what the concept of time really. It's had so much going on lately. Okay. What have you had going on lately? Just working with my mom. I have my mom and stepdad on a couple of yogurt shops, trying to work for dad, trying to make any ends meet because me and dad haven't been fighting very much lately. <laughs> we butt heads. You know, we've worked together, lived together for a while. So um, so your, your storage unit up there uh, up on North Hill. Yeah. Um, well, it's, not, it's your dad. It's my dad's. Yeah, anyway. Who has access to it? Uh, me and my dad. Yeah, okay. and then there's a. Uh, anyone else? Uh, no, but I mean, yeah, I don't know if you know about theft that was up there not that long ago. Uh, this guy used to get into all the units, stole all types of shit. So we're Tim Bolster. I don't know if you know that name. But, uh, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but me and my dad only ones had the keys for it, but. Yeah, so that's okay. When was the last time you were there? Uh, I was up there either yes this morning or yesterday morning. I can't remember what the actual day was. Yeah. Were you getting something out? Or? No, I was just, uh, was getting ready. Um, the lady who lived next door in the brick house. She gave me a she had she had me help remove out this big stereo thing. I was gonna spray paint it and sell it on uh, what do you call it, Facebook sell or whatever. And so. Olsen explains that he briefly made contact with his father after running out of gas, so his dad brought him some money and then left. According to Michael, his father never said anything about meeting up with him at their shared storage unit. He claims his brief interaction with his father occurred sometime between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. Remember, this is the night of June 19th on Wednesday, the same day Katie Wolfarth's family and business partner Dave met with a police officer at 1 p.m. to officially report her missing. So they already know he's communicated with his father much later than that. Because two of the detectives were standing right next to Michael's father when he made that call. So they now know he is blatantly lying to them. Now, are you aware that uh, the, that storage area, they've got all kinds of cameras? Oh, yeah, yeah, because of the thefts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, your dad said sometimes you sleep down there? Uh... Only, the only reason I slept in there is because I'm so tired from dinner. Like, if this represents the floor of the unit, you couldn't even walk in it as of a couple of weeks ago. So I was cleaning it out while I'm trying to get it functional again. But yeah, I crashed up there one night just because I fell asleep. And I was like, oh, I'm so tired. And sometimes I go stay next door with Beverly and she uh, lets me go in there. Uh, the, uh, there's a brick house right next door to the shop. And... Um, that's the guy, actually, his mother, who who was stealing from all the story so, units. Yeah, but she she evicted him. He hasn't been around in a while. So, I got him to that guy in a while. Okay. So we actually, um, like we said, we met your dad. We met your dad at the at, up there at the storage unit, and uh, I, we both were standing next to him when he was trying to call you, uh, and uh, he said uh, that that. Uh, you had gotten a ride by, from somebody that they were bringing you up to the storage unit. That's what my dad said. Yeah. Who kind of vehicle did you drive? 
Uh, orange Dakota. Any other vehicles? No, just that one. Um, have you driven any other car in the last, say, week? No. 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 Again, another blatant lie as detectives already have concrete video evidence of Michael Olson driving at Katie Wolfar's van away from the storage facility. Well, like I said, well, like I said we, uh, we, were, we were up there to talk to your dad and you said that you were on the way. You ran out of gas. The truck was down there at Carroll or East Market. Yeah, Coast. right. And I was going to get a lift up to the gas station and get some gas, but I never said I was going to go to the storage unit. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. He That's what he said? said? And he actually texted you. I haven't seen my phone in a while, so I've obviously been dealing with this, so. Well, this has been like three or four hours now. Well, yeah, but still, it just feels like it's been an eternity, but it's going through a window to help out a neighbor. Without revealing the obvious, that they already have crystal clear high-resolution video of Michael Olson at the storage unit on Monday afternoon, the video that also captures him entering Katie Wolfar's unit and returning the very next day, transporting what appears to be a body across the gravel road and into his own unit, they press him a little harder. So when was the last time you were up at the storage unit? Well, like I said, uh, yesterday, this morning, yesterday morning, I can't remember what day it was. Were you up there Monday? What's today? Today is Wednesday. Uh, Monday. Two days ago. I've been up there sporadically throughout the last week. I don't know exactly which day, but uh, what's today? Wednesday? Oh, no. I think I was up there Monday. Okay. Uh, no, no. I mean, I just pretty much rolled up right solo. I mean, Dick, come, you know, Richard Leslie, the guy that owns the place, comes back every once in a while to hang out. Yeah, yeah Dick. Do you uh, do you ever see anybody else that has storage units out there or talk to anybody? Oh well, there's a couple old old timer to my right. I think his dad's a uh, his dad or his son is Black Keys. You know, the, the group, yeah. And then uh, sometimes I see the people across from us, they're reporters. They got all types of, oh my gosh, it's to the brink. I thought our shop was bad. And then Jake Leslie and I, you know. When's the last time you saw them? Uh, I don't know, three, four days ago, something like that. Five days. I, I literally, my days have been running together so much as I'm freaking going crazy. Is she looking like? Uh, yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's Dave and... Kathleen? Kathleen? Katie? Katie? That's the same name, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Who is she? Uh, she, has a, she has a storage unit up there, I think, with her, I thought it was her husband, Dave, or something like that. I met him before. Which one she met? Uh, I, well, I don't know which, what the letter is. I have no idea. It's, it's across from you? Across from you? Oh, uh, across from me. I'm the, in the middle building. Okay. Yeah. When was the last time you saw her? Uh... Probably Saturday, Sunday, something like that. I was up there doing some stuff around the shop. Okay. Uh, what about Monday? Uh, I don't think I was up there Monday. I really don't. I don't think I was up there Monday. I think it was. I know I was there over the weekend. Well, like I like I told you, there, you know, there's video. Yeah. And we watched video. Yeah. No, you watched. No yeah. video. Did you talk to her at all? No. Oh yeah, was. Well, she actually tried to knock on, on my door one night. She said I was sleeping up there. I fell asleep or something. She gave me a fan if I was hot or something. So I had to talk to her before, yeah. Michael Olson flatly lies here again about having any interaction with Katie Wolfarth on Monday afternoon, let alone denying even being at the storage facility itself. 
But he does admit to detectives that Katie, although a friendly acquaintance at best, was aware that he was actually occasionally staying in that storage unit, living there periodically while in between his father and mother's houses. He explains that she was even so kind as to bring him an electric fan one evening, as she was concerned that the summer temperatures were dangerously warm for a man to be sleeping in an otherwise uninhabitable storage unit overnight. Yeah, I thought somebody told us you guys were, you were dating no. Dude, dude, no, look at her. No, I mean, uh, I mean, God doesn't make jump, but no, I wasn't dating her. Are you kidding me? Look at all your age friends. Yes, yes. And I, and trust me, after my last relationship, I'm not even looking for any type of girl. I've never had any sexual relations with her. No, absolutely not. Oh my gosh, why am I even being asked this? Well, it's only so that you guys were dating. Huh? No, we're not dating. Oh my okay. gosh, who said that? I, I forget who it was, but. Oh my gosh. That's ridiculous, man. No, I'm not dating this woman. <laughs> well, Mike, the video shows that you were talking to her Monday. So, well, yeah, okay, I told you my days were all definitely. And both of your storage units were open. You had you were going in and out. Yeah. Both units. Were you, I thought her, that was were you in her unit? Was I, was I in her unit? Uh, no, it was right outside the door. I mean, I might have ventured in there to look at a couple stuff, and she was right there, so yeah. yeah. Uh, have you been in her unit? Not like, not before that, no. Okay, but you, Monday, you did not go in there? Oh, just a, Tony, I mean, I really don't know. I was standing there, I was talking, she cleaned out my, uh, uh, what do you call it, chop bag, and I just, I just, I'm bad on the timeline of the dates, I really don't know, so. Okay. Uh, but I never was actually like, I mean, maybe right outside the door, but all the way in the back, no, I've never been there. You can't, there's a freaking wall of stuff you can get through. Has she hasn't been in your unit? Uh, just, uh, she brought me, she dusted off the shop back and, you know, I, I wanted her to see because everyone that drove by saw how disgusting it was. I was like, hey, look, look. Well, they're actually doing a lot better, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, would her DNA uh, be in your storage unit? No, not at all. Not at all? No. Why would her DNA? Well, yeah. the reason I think we're asking about her is because the family made a report they haven't seen her in a couple of days. What the so we're trying to trying DNA. to find her. DNA? Why no, she was if anything, she stepped right inside my unit and gave me the and she blew off the, the filter for my shop back that I was using. This is ridiculous. Okay. Michael Olson, once again claiming the entire situation is, quote, ridiculous, reveals to detectives how he may have convinced Katie Wolfarth to momentarily leave the immediate area so that he could stage his eventual attack in her unit. Taking advantage of her generous nature and kind spirit, Olson allegedly asked the 68-year-old woman to help empty his wet-dry shop vac in the dumpsters around the corner, after several reports indicate she may have just helped him vacuum out his storage unit moments before. But it's the detective's bizarre question about whether or not Michael Olson ever dated Katie Wolfarth that seems to have momentarily offended him. He politely asks if the two have ever engaged in any consensual sexual relations. The question Michael Olson abruptly answers by stating, quote, No, absolutely not. For the record here, detectives are not genuinely curious as to whether or not Michael Olson was ever dating Katie Wolfarth based on the neighborhood gossip mill. Instead, they're setting a trap to see how many lies they can catch the 35-year-old handyman in 
before they inevitably confront him with the truth that they already know. So on Monday, her sister got a phone call, or actually a message left on her machine, Mm -hmm. saying Katie was telling her she has this handyman named Jim Olson. Oh, yeah, her sister in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to do a little road to work trip for her, but... Yeah. Okay. Remember yeah. having that conversation? Yeah, yeah. Monday? Oh, I don't know if it was. I mean, like I said, it could have been Monday. What is Wednesday? <laughs> Sometimes I'll go like I'll say, "Hey, uh, yeah, it's been about seven minutes or so," and that was like it was like seven minutes ago. It was like a week ago. Or that's uh, my timeline gets fucked up every once in a while, mm-hmm. and people are like, "Dude, that's, you're an idiot." Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Let me ask you something that's totally unrelated. It doesn't matter. You. uh you, you hooked on anything? What, what got music? Yeah, I, uh, I smoke weed every once in a while, but it gives me, it gives me a little bit of upper energy. Nothing else? Nothing else. Right. Um, so, you, so you saw her Monday, or, set, or sometime in the last couple of days? Yeah, last couple of days, yeah. Because yeah. She, she's been missing for a couple of days, so we've been trying to find her. Uh, do you have any idea where she might be? Did she talk about where she was going? No idea. She did not say where she was going. No? No. Again, there's video. And one, and it was, this was Monday, it shows you moving her van. No. Yeah. No, I wasn't moving her van. Yeah. I mean, video doesn't lie. Can you explain that? No, I can't. Michael Olson finally admits that he was, in fact, present at the storage facility on Monday in direct alignment with the strange message Katie left with her sister, Pat, just moments before the security video shows Katie Wolfarth overpowered from the shadows in her own storage unit. And the question about whether or not Michael Olson is hooked on any type of drugs is because police discovered a small baggie of methamphetamines in his possession that very afternoon at the time of his arrest for the B&E call which might help explain why his timeline apparently gets so messed up, as he put it. The 35-year-old repeatedly claiming that he's unable to tell the difference between seven minutes and a week. But detectives are done beating around the bush at this point. They don't want to fully reveal the extent of the evidence they do have because they need Michael Olson to tell the story of what happened for them, to confess to the horrific crimes they have already established to have occurred, inside of that dark, cluttered storage unit. Do you know why we found any blood in her unit? Pardon me? Why we found blood in her unit? You found blood in her unit? Yeah, do you have any cuts from when you were... I've got cuts all the time from working construction, man. <laughs> all the time. Okay. Yeah. Is, that, is that blood going to be yours? Or... Oh, yeah. This, oh, this is... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a picker, so sometimes I'll get in there and scratch my nose. And... But again, the blood that we found in her unit. Oh, is it going to be my blood? No. No, how would that be my blood? I didn't cut myself over there. So, no. But I do, I mean, if I could have shed something, I mean, because I always do have, like, I mean, look, I've got I've got tons of cuts all over. They're always working construction, dude. That's what I do. Michael, uh, I mean, we've been working on this for a couple hours. Um, so, we got pretty far along in the investigation. There's going to be a time when there's going to be a narrative given of what happened. Okay. So usually, 
pull the turnip. You don't want me to get the turnip myself. Yeah. Uh, we find we find evidence. Uh, you know, different things, um, hair, blood, uh, different objects, and you know, we can kind of piece together what happened. So, I mean, sometimes, sometimes people fuck up. And, you know, they do something. They get themselves in a predicament. They get worried. Uh, I mean, something happened on accident. They get scared. Uh, they try to cover it up. They don't want to, you know, try to explain it. Well, now's the time to explain what happened that day. Was it Monday? Whatever day Tuesday or Sunday. I, there's nothing to explain. No, no. Detectives are done allowing this 35-year-old man with his recently cleanly shaven head, who purportedly may or may not have inadvertently shed blood in Katie Wolfar's storage unit, oh yeah, and who was captured on video staging an ambush attack and then leaving in her minivan to continue lying to them. They begin by revealing bits and pieces of what they did find in Michael Olson's storage unit, the horrific remnants of a sadistic and grisly crime. That he is clearly responsible for. Well, we found blood in your, in your storage, a lot of blood. And here. Do you want to explain that? I mean, I got myself on some glass and. What about hair? Mm-hmm. What's left? How long have you been keeping your hair like that? Uh, literally, like two, three days. Okay. Literally, like two, three days. Well, you said. Uh, I think you said it was about three or four days ago, earlier. Well, three or four days, two, three days. I, like I said, I don't know how much time on We found lots of blood in your storage Lots of blood. We found sticks, instruments with a lot of blood. No fucking way. Like Sergeant Marks. Yeah, someone's got a cranny or something. It's ridiculous. No. You just said that the only two people that get have access to your unit. But somebody, like, if you ever look up in the soft at that fucking Tim, he's trying. I bet you. No, I, I don't think that's the one. We have video of you talking to Katie. Well, yeah, I've talked to Katie before. Talking to her on Monday, driving her van away. Her keys, her keys were found in your dad's basement today. Shit. No. How did Tim get out there and plant that? Tim fucking he's uh, fucking uh, no, no. That's that's not the narrative you want to That's that's not gonna work for you, buddy. When Michael Olson tries one last time to shift blame elsewhere, this time on the supposed thief who's been stealing from storage units at the Leslie Rentals facility, they stop him in his tracks and allow him one last opportunity to establish his own narrative of what actually happened. Because in the state of Ohio that may inevitably mean the difference between life and death for Michael Olson. Police already have video evidence of Michael transporting Katie's stiffening body across that gravel road from her own storage unit to the one rented in his father's name. And by the time this interrogation took place, Michael's father had already voluntarily permitted police to enter and thoroughly search the unit. Inside, they found a large walking cane completely covered in blood, placed directly adjacent to a piece of heavy brown pipe, it too completely covered in blood, tissue, and hair. Among the clutter of his unit, which can best be described as part workshop and part hoarder's living quarters, they also found that trash can on wheels, 
the one that appeared on video. When forensic technicians carefully cut open the tightly wrapped bundle of blankets and blue tarp, the one Michael Olson was captured on video retrieving from the back of his orange Dodge Dakota pickup truck before re-entering Katie Wolfar's unit the day after she disappeared. They found her badly beaten and bludgeoned body. During that search, which had already occurred by the time of Michael Olson's interview, police had also noted clear evidence that 68-year-old Katie Wolfarth had also been raped. Her pants were pulled down around her ankles, and her legs were crudely duct-taped together. The medical examiner's office would confirm the initial suspicions police had uncovered in Olson's storage unit on Friday, June 21, 2019, when they completed her autopsy. The remains did in fact belong to Katie Wolfarth, and she had been viciously sexually assaulted before she was killed. Her manner of death was ruled a homicide, and the cause, blunt force trauma to the head and neck. The likely murder weapons, the bloodied antique walking cane and piece of pipe, located inside of Michael Olson's storage unit. Something bad happened to Katie, you know it, you know what happened. So like Sergeant Marquette has given the opportunity to give us your narrative. Yeah. So stupid. What happened? Oh, man. She wanted to give you some money? She wanted to give you a job? What? We have... Uh, yeah. The sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us what happened, Michael. I mean, it's probably going to help you. I mean, you, you can't you can't feel good holding this in. No, no, no. I just... Tell us what happened. I snapped, man. I snapped. I just... About something, something came over me. What, what makes you? My ex-girlfriend, dude, she... It was a downfall. It's not... It's not she was the one to hold a gun to me there by the next girlfriend, but she made me a different person because of her toxic, narcissistic race. I was mentally, verbally, emotionally abused. I don't know, just a snap, and Katie said something about my fucking next girlfriend. You know what? Well, yeah, yeah, I snapped. Tell us what happened. Michael Olson finally breaks, realizing he can no longer lie his way out of the undeniable evidence trail leading from Katie Wolfar's storage unit directly into his own. But that doesn't mean he isn't going to come up with some incredible half-truths along the way. Dude, uh, that's why I told you, this is your narrative. This is your chance to say for your story. Yeah, well, I just... Are you just a cold-blooded no, homicidal maniac? Not, not at all. Or is it the moment? Heat of the moment, I think. You just snapped. So uh, take us through it, man. Nah, I'm just... Went over there... Hit on the head. That was it. What'd you get on the head? Like a metal pipe, a walking stick. Something in there. Wood. Yes. Actually, a piece of the, I don't need to see that. A piece of the fireplace stick. Looking one of those broken. I don't know what I just, I just saw it, grabbed it, and I just saw it fucking snapped it. Did you do it in her, her unit? Or? Michael Olson then reveals to detectives that he did in fact take Katie Wolfarth's van after quote snapping and killing her 
and police would later recover it in the 800 block of Whittier Avenue in West Akron on Thursday, June 20th. He then admits that he took Katie's van keys and hid them at his dad's house because he was eventually planning to carefully wipe them off and discard of them elsewhere. And in a moment of self-pity, he reflects to detectives about how, quote, that smell of death, I could smell it the rest of the day, just that smell of death, man. I fucking hate it. Every time I smell my clothes, I smell it. But the man who claims to have unexpectedly lost his temper in a moment of weakness upon Katie Wolfarth allegedly mentioning his ex-girlfriend's name, the woman he claims mentally and verbally abused him, forgot about that pesky surveillance video, the one that clearly depicted him, carefully watching Katie Wolfarth, like a predator stalking its prey, before ultimately convincing her to leave the immediate view of the storage unit so that he could set the trap and strike upon her return. It was dumb. I shouldn't have never done it. Obviously, I'm going to do it for the rest of my life, but it's a snap, man. I've been so emotionally and verbally abused. You have no idea. I got a mother that fucking, you know, staying with I'm 35 years old. Now, part of the available interrogation audio here has been intentionally omitted from the public record, specifically around Michael Olson's initial explanation about why Katie Wolfar's clothing had been ripped. But the early suspicions of forensic technicians who examined Katie Wolfar's body would be confirmed just two days later on Friday that she had, in fact, also been raped something one doesn't typically do in the heat of the moment when snapping, as Michael Olson claimed to have happened. You were, you were talking to her. What did she say that reminded you of your girlfriend? We were kind of talking about her a little bit, and she said that maybe maybe you did this to her. Whatever. So she was playing with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never did a fucking thing to that ex-girlfriend of mine. I treated her like a fucking queen. So you said you just saw something laying there? Mm-hmm. All right. well, I just, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have never done it. I just, for some reason, I snapped. Before the detectives leave the room, Michael Olson casually removes one of his hands from beneath his pants and underwear, where he has been bizarrely keeping it warm during the final stages of his interview, before laughing, extending his hand and saying, I'd shake your hand, but you probably don't want that. The detectives did not want that and opted not to shake his hand. At some point while wrapping up, Michael Olson was also given a brief opportunity to look directly into the camera that just captured his confession to leave a brief video message for his mother and father. But we have decided not to air that message because, despite his claims, Michael Olson is, in fact, a cold-blooded killer and rapist and doesn't deserve the opportunity that he so selfishly took away from Mary Kay Katie Wolfarth. Despite giving a video confession, Michael Olson would later go on to plead not guilty to all charges 
during his initial court appearance, after he was initially charged with Katie Wolfarth's rape and murder. He was subsequently held on a $1 million bond. In the aftermath of her sister's brutal killing, Pat Wolfarth shared with the Akron Beacon Journal that she believed the strange voicemail she received from Katie on the Monday she was ambushed, raped, and killed by Michael Olson was actually a cryptic clue intentionally left behind by her sister when she suspected that Michael Olson had ulterior motives during their brief exchange at the Leslie Rentals storage facility. Despite his initial plea of not guilty, given the battery of video and physical evidence, Michael Olson eventually accepted a plea agreement. After the prosecution made it clear the evidence demonstrated Katie Wolfarth's murder was, in fact, premeditated and carefully orchestrated, as the security camera video had so clearly captured. On August 27, 2019, at his sentencing hearing, Michael Olson quietly pleaded guilty to charges of aggravated murder, grand theft of a motor vehicle, rape, trespass in a habitation, and a gross abuse of a corpse. Katie's sister, Pat, among several other close friends and relatives, gave a heartfelt victim impact statement before the judge rendered her final sentence about her 68-year-old sister, who, till the very end, remained youthful, adventurous, and generously kind to a fault. I have a difficult time accepting Katie is dead. I do what I can to continue living my life as fully as I can because I know that is what she would want me to do. But several times during any given day, I find myself weeping and feeling sad. The first time I picked up the urn holding Katie's ashes, I realized that that was the closest I would ever come to giving her a hug again. Katie was always doing things for other people, including myself. She was never a victim except for the last few hours of her life. I cannot bear, bear to think of the pain and fear she must have experienced that night. When people die, they should be surrounded by the people who love them. And this seems especially true for somebody like Katie, who was such a wonderful friend to everyone who knew her. It breaks my heart that the last face she saw was that of Michael Olson, the vicious person who raped and murdered her. He must, he must never be released from prison Anyone who could kill Katie could and will kill again. My hope is that he will not live long, even in prison, because the world will be a better place without him in it. Upon entering into the agreement, Olson was immediately sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole by Judge Amy Corgill Jones that same afternoon, a sentence that was reviewed and pre-approved by Katie Wolfar's family, despite their very public wishes for Michael Olson to receive the death penalty. As a matter of procedure, he also received nearly 20 additional years to be served consecutively for the other charges. When given the opportunity to address the court himself, 
Michael Olson claimed that he was under the influence of drugs when he raped and killed 68-year-old Katie Wolfarth, though he did also admit that he was the one who ultimately chose to take those drugs. In the end, he quietly asked the Wolfarth family to one day see that he is not the devil, though his deeds against their Katie were so clearly evil. In May of 2020, the Wolfarth family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Leslie Floor Sanding Incorporated, the entity which owns the storage unit facility where Katie Wolfarth was raped and murdered. The family alleges that the owners of the storage facility knew that Michael Olson was actually living in the uninhabitable unit they rented out to his father, and that he had allegedly even begun receiving mail there with their approval and advanced knowledge. The family is only seeking around $25,000 in the lawsuit for loss of companionship, mental anguish, and final incurred burial and funeral expenses. Sadly, despite all of the security enhancements Leslie Rentals made at the facility after a recent string of thefts and vandalism, they couldn't keep out the one man who would one day be captured on those high-resolution security cameras, so carelessly packing away the horrifically battered remains of a kind and adventurous woman. Michael Olson showed Katie Wolfarth less respect in her final moments than she showed those rare antiques she carefully organized and packed away in her storage unit, a place she so loved where she would ultimately be killed. <laughs> 